0: Welcome, Senator. Can you hear me? How, how are you? I'm fine. I'm delighted that you're not using your oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for my
1: time for me. I understand
0: we have about 15 minutes. And, we do. Uh-huh. Uh, thank you very much. Obviously, we're not in your district in our listenership. Um sure. although I have to say that I always say, you know, our, our radio station based out of Carnation Duval. Is one that the FCC opened up. They opened up frequencies about nah, seven, eight years ago for mm-hmm. radio. And it's 100 watt, which means nice. it's just about go between Duval and Carnation. Yep, so yep. I always say our station serves Duval, Carnation, and the world because we stream. So yeah, we have all over the world, which is kind of an interesting thing.
1: Well, and Carnation and Duval are really amazing areas, too. So, yeah, I've lived here for 40 years
0: and uh, lots of changes, lots of things and sure. uh, that are different and that we have mm-hmm. to get used to and deal with. And sure. That being said, I'm just going to go ahead and start as if we're doing our program. So welcome to Valley Talk. I'm your host, Heather Stark. And with me is very special guest, Senator uh, Shelley Short. Now, Senator Short is not one of our direct representatives. But I think, actually, we could pretty much say that anybody who's in the Senate is, re- is representing us to one form or another, one shape or another. The senator is a ranking member of the Senate Local Government Committee. She sits on the Senate Agriculture, Water, Natural Resources and Parks, Environment, Energy and Technology, and Rules Committees. So that's a lot of fingers in a lot of pies. I, there are. I thank you for taking the time to talk with us. What Absolutely. made me reach out to you, um, and I'm hurrying I'm a little bit because I know your time is precious, um, but what made me reach out to you in particular was Senate Bill 5275.
1: Can you tell me about that and where that stands right now? Sure. Well, actually, a lot of stakeholder input into that bill. But what the what the bill does specifically under the Growth Management Act, especially in the rural areas of our state, uh, I represent the seventh and it is an extremely rural uh, district. Uh, There are areas that that have special kinds of what they call local intense development. The challenge with the Growth Management Act is that all of that development had to look like it did in 1990 and so what ends up happening if you have um an empty building you 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 can't use that building for anything else other than what it was in 1990 that doesn't make sense today Um, unfortunately counties have actually been appealed and had litigation when they have attempted to change those uses um so it's been a frustrating thing these are areas that if you think about cottage industries or or businesses that are serving the local community, um, or or just even different types of housing, um, these are areas that you should be able to thoughtfully develop. Um, they're not; they're never going to be urban growth areas. They weren't designed to be that. But we think um, that there needs to be more flexibility, and that's what my bill does.
0: Well, I'm on board with that. I have um, uh, some acreage. That is a half a mile from the boundary for the growth management area. And apparently I'm surrounded by a lot of housing developments with hundreds of houses. But apparently if I sell one acre for one house, I will be single handedly destroying the entire ecosystem. Yeah. And that kind of doesn't make sense to me. And um, yeah. It
1: doesn't. well, it, the other challenge really, is you've got people that are making decisions about how your rural communities should look. Mm-hmm. And look, everybody has, you know we we live in a state where where people can feel free to to have their comments and you know and and look at different projects. But it's still got to make sense mm-hmm. for the rural area. Um the other thing the bill does is it allows you to adjust um, boundaries. So if you have, let's just say your your sewer service, um, sewer district, um, maybe, you know, public water. Um, sometimes those boundaries don't actually jive and they really don't make sense. You should be able to actually expand that with an existing service. And uh, my bill hopes to do that. That That's the challenging part of the bill that the environmental community doesn't like very well. Okay. So that being said, what's what kind of support is this bill getting? It's actually getting uh, tremendous support. Um, I've been working with stakeholders, including, uh, you know, the state agency commerce, uh, commerce department. And actually, I think we're making really good headway. Um, It's going to be voted out, I think, of committee on Thursday as a work in progress. So we've still got some work to do on it, but uh, it's, 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 it's working and it's moving.
0: Great. That's good. Good news, I think. Um, There's another bill that you're introduced or involved with introducing, and that is about um, providing uh, using public utility districts for um, as retail authorities. And can you tell me about that? That has mostly
1: to do with internet service, doesn't it? It does. It does. So what what the bill does um, in limited instances where you have tremendously hard to serve areas, unserved areas. Um, that, that we know are quite expensive, you know, not, not very many people. We are allowing a public utility district in those instances to be able to provide that retail authority. That is very new. Um, we, I, I don't support it when a, a public entity can, can cause private entities, you know, out-compete them. Um, but in this case, I, at least the bill as it is right now, now the bill could change and I could decide to change my mind on whether I support it or not. But, but I think it's an important tool um, for those really hard to serve areas, uh, which would allow access to federal funding um, in order to build projects out, out to those kind of communities. So I think it's a really good idea, um, but it has good protections in place. And we've had uh, private companies that are supportive of this bill.
0: Do you have the bill number for that? It's, it's
1: Senate Bill 5383.
0: Okay, and again, are you are you getting some good traction on that one? You think there's there's hope for that one?
1: I I think it is the challenge that we have sometimes. Um, you know, retail authority is a big thing. That that means that a public government entity like a PUD could service the end user. And I I always am pretty protective over not having government come over the top of a pri- of the private sector. Um, but as long as it stays you know, stays narrow. I think it's good. It's it's got good support. If they try to what we call Christmas tree it, which is what the term we use when they want other things attached to it that really don't make sense. <laughs> um it could it could harm it could harm the bill's uh chances. But at the at the moment, I think we're pretty good, but we'll we'll see. I've I've heard some discussions that they may be trying to do that with it. Um so we'll we'll see but okay. really good discussion. When you say they, who are we talking about? Um, larger public utility districts that want more. Okay, and, <laughs> which and- which which really is making the case for why I've been really opposed to retail authority, um, because there's, if you start allowing them to utilize their, uh, you know, their ratepayer funds, which at this point are electricity generated, you might think about that for a minute. And then for them to be able to use that in a retail sense, they probably would actually be out competing um, private businesses that are already serving mm-hmm. customers because they want it larger than just the unserved areas. So sometimes, sometimes stakeholders want too much. And, and that ends up making it harder for the bill to move forward. So we'll see. We're not there yet. We did have really good comments and good support. Um, so so we'll see if it if it keeps moving
0: good are there any other bills that i'm not aware of i mean it's hard honestly as a layperson to keep track of sure. all of these things and they might be here for a month or so and then they just disappear off the face of the earth and it's sure. hard if, if you're not involved to keep track of what's important
1: one one that i'm working on and i don't know honestly if it'll get anywhere this year um I have, and it's, it's again, to deal with the Growth Management Act. I've long thought that the Growth Management Act, the way it was put together, was really designed for a very urban, dense, you know, um, dense environment, you know, like your really large cities, not for Carnation, not for Duval, not for, you know, uh, communities uh, in mine, Republic and, you know, Colville and Chawila and places like that. And so I'm really pushing, you know, a lot of the environmental interests and others to think about what what would a rural type uh, of bill look like that how would it truly meet the rural needs instead of trying what i always say is the square peg in the round hole um because under the the growth management act your counties have to to try and and make it work for a rural community and then they get appealed or litigated because well you didn't quite do it right well they didn't do it right because it probably doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. you know, for rural communities. So I do have a bill, it's um, Senate bill 5368, which is a very first attempt at, at what might a rural option look like. And look, it's, it's um, it needs a lot of work, but I'm, I'm kind of, I'll, I'll be honest. There's part of me, that's really tired of, of um, urban people trying to tell rural areas, <laughs> what what to do and how to look and oh yes. i love
0: you senator i love <laughs> you
1: <laughs> so so look i think there's a way we can do it it's probably um, not ready there's still a lot of work that needs to be done but i want to push them to think about that because i do not think the original growth management act was was meant for rural communities like yours and mine yeah.
0: well and i always say again being half a mile from that that boundary I, I just sit there going, do you envision a skyscraper right there? And then on the other yeah. side of that boundary line, all of a sudden there's bucolic sheep or whatever, you know, I yeah. mean, what were they thinking? You can't yeah. just have these rigid boundaries no. and, and yet that's how it's designed. So it is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it is.
0: It's, 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 I, I've had problems with that ever since it came out. Um, but, you know, I guess a lot of people have. Um, they have, <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm liking that, and, and we had heard last session that people would be tackling this and addressing some of the stuff on the Growth Management Act, but it didn't really happen.
1: Um, well, it, it that that didn't. Um, it's interesting. There were a lot of ideas, but the really big ones, nobody seemed to have the stomach to address. And you know, part of that is how local governments share in the revenue. you, know, you think about most of your urban growth is in cities, so that. The counties are planning, but then the counties don't get the revenue, you know, sharing um, from the growth that comes in the cities and and that's done through annexation, you know, statutes and that's a huge issue for cities and counties Um, that would be an issue that my bill would tackle. Um, you know, voluntary um, kind of a voluntary safe harbor process within the commerce agency might be helpful to to counties, actually urban and rural counties. But they didn't they didn't want to tackle the big things, so so their work really hasn't gone anywhere.
0: Well, as you pointed out, I mean it's very urban oriented, all all at all levels of our government. It's a very urban oriented. Um, uh, centered view of looking at things um, it is. And uh, that's a shame for those of us who are rural and who want to maintain some rural and um yeah. you know, that idea of getting some representation is pretty tough. and I believe you've been working on that as well, trying to increase I think what I read was you know that the the rural people are are being heard that they're going to be at the table as well. Tell
1: Absolutely. me what you're doing along those lines if you would. Well, I think part of it is just is really giving them, giving them that voice um, and allowing them to decide what their rural community should look like. And again, it doesn't mean, I mean, you and I care about water quality and a good clean environment, just, just like folks who live in the cities. It just looks different. Um, you should not be prevented from thinking about how you want your rural communities to grow and, and look like, and, and have that local character and that local flavor that, that in my mind should be first. And, and really that's, so the voice I give to people is I'm not giving up on that, um, because you're right, it's a very urban centric environment. So my job is to make sure that rural, rural voice is heard and that the rural needs are met. And, and that's, you know, that's what I'm trying to do with all these things.
0: Well, you know, many I'm in King County and uh, many years ago I was trying to figure out what I could do with my acreage. I was a single mom trying to keep my home and I called and talked to the county. Got a a young man on the phone, uh, either that or his voice sounded very young. And I said, but it's not really rural anymore. I mean, there are houses every four or five acres here. That's not mm-hmm. really rural. Mm-hmm. I said, have you even been out here? And his response to me, I will never forget it. He said two things to me that I will never forget. The first thing he said was, I don't have to go out there, I have a map. And I thought, really? You're looking at a map and you think that gives you the flavor, the information, and uh, you know enough, enough to make decisions about where I live? I was very offended by that. And he seemed to see nothing wrong with that comment. The mm-hmm. other thing that I brought to, uh, he he mentioned that there was nothing really that I could do with my acreage, uh, nothing. And I said, so I can't sell it, I can't break it down, I can't sell it, I can't do anything with it. What can I do with this property so that I can maintain, so I can keep in my home and finish raising mm-hmm. my children here? Mm-hmm. And his response is, you can watch the trees grow. Oh, wow. And at the time I was paying, I think, $600 a month in taxes, property taxes. And I thought right then, and whenever I do an interview, I always preface it by saying I hate King County. And that's the reason why, (laughs) you know, um, those folks are making decisions about things that they do not have a clue about and nothing that they even want to have a clue about. And so I'm really heartened to think that you're trying to make sure that those of us who are not. City dwellers are are being held. That being said, we have a couple minutes left, and I, I have another soapbox that I'm going to get on, but sure. I, won't, I won't. I'll spare you the details. Okay, but you've been very employ uh, very involved in workers' comp and unemployment. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I read a comment that you made after um, our former um, Employment Security Department person went into the Biden administration. Mm-hmm. Um, what what's the status with unemployment security right now? I can I can't even. Tell you how many people, myself included. Uh, I mean, it's just screwed up. It's screwed. For example, I got two thousand dollars of unemployment in twenty twenty. I just got a ten ninety nine that mm-hmm. goes to the federal government that says Employment Security paid me forty five hundred dollars in twenty twenty. Oh my gosh! Now I don't even know where I go to correct that. You know, I mean, it's just one thing after another. There's no record keeping. I don't know how much was sent uh, each each check. I don't know the dollar amount because. In one two-day period, I got nine letters and messages, all conflicting information. I mean, I stopped even reading them because, I mean, as far as dollar amount and everything, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. Mm -hmm.
1: What's going to happen with that? Is there anybody who's taking care of that? Well, anytime someone leaves to go elsewhere, um, there's usually an interim person, usually internal um, to the agency, that that serves in that capacity, you know, until someone is chosen. But look, I I have never seen such a mess. I the numbers, the sheer numbers of people that all of us as legislators have have tried to help, and and then to have the whistleblower come forward and say we were told to help no one. I mean, that's just unconscionable. but look, there's a lesson somewhere here. And I think um, look, I support government programs that that work to help people and do what they're designed to do. But the lesson here is we can't just assume that these people are going to take care of us. And and it, regardless of how much money you put into it, that's that was employment security's primary number one focus. And, and at a time when people needed them the most, you know, in such an unprecedented situation and we've, it's just devastated families. I mean, the fed stepped up to say, Hey, we're going to help fund it. You know, the state stepped in and said, we're going to continue weeks of unemployment. We know this is extraordinary and they screw it up and they, and it, and it still screwed up. I hope, I hope with her gone that, that maybe Things can can you know can start happening, but it's so bad. It's so bad right now. I I don't know what kind of information is is factual and isn't. Um, well, I, but- I interviewed our state auditor, uh, and she
0: mentioned that the obviously what was printed in the paper about the lack of cooperation to the state mm-hmm. auditor's office, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and from what I've seen, I've you know I'm long in the tooth. I've seen a number of fiascos that have happened over the years always someone is held accountable. Now you can argue whether that was the right person to be held accountable, sure. yeah. um, but someone has been held accountable. Mm-hmm. Somebody got their hand slapped, mm-hmm. not here, not here. And no one seems to be interested in holding anyone accountable. Um,
1: well, we are, you know, I mean, we are Senate Republicans, are house Republicans are, and, and look, I, I'm not a partisan person by nature, but, but the fact of the matter is, is the people who control the committee's, um, and the governor's office specifically, he is—he is a separate. You know, he's the executive branch of government. We're the legislative. Um, there should have been—that should not have happened the way it did. Mm-hmm. I mean, conversely, you had an issue with the auditor's office where some potential, you know, people's information was hacked. And they came unglued on her, but they didn't, they didn't, I mean, they are going to have a hearing, which is good. Uh, It's going to be after cutoff. My understanding is labor committee will will hold a a hearing on the ESD situation, but it should have happened months ago. Well, is it
0: going to be the same kind of hearing that we've been seeing all along in this session where somebody decides, oh, this issue, I'll give you 45 minutes of public input. right? Um, But if you're going to comment about the state dinosaur, we'll give you an hour. I mean, really, who makes those decisions?
1: (laughs) Well, uh, you know, unfortunately the, you know, chairs of the committees have a lot of latitude. Um, I I think that's when the leadership needs to step in and say, hey, we've got to do this the right way. Yeah.
0: Senator, I'm I'm two minutes over of the time you allotted, and I'm trying to be really respectful of your time. Sure. Um, I want to point out that your district, you represent the extreme northeast section mm-hmm. of our state, a little bit different, um, a, a lot more rural than we are here in Carnation Duval area, sure. but sure. still we have some uh, great deal of commonalities. Absolutely. We want to keep a heads up on Senate Bill 5275 and on Senate Bill 5368. We want to see what's happening with that. And I hope if you can find time as the session uh, continues, you'll jump back on and, and give us an update on those. Oh, it'd be good. It would I be good. Really, I'd love to do that. I really appreciate time and
1: keep keep getting us rural folks at the table. <laughs> oh, we're, we're, I'm working on it. I'm working it all the time. Thank you so much, Heather. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Senator Shelley Short. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
0: Well, that was Senator Shelley Short. Joining me right now is Jay Fisk. Jay, welcome to the show. We're going to uh, talk a little bit about what the senator had to say. Um, I, I liked that woman. I really thought, boy, this, this is a woman that, whose values I approve of and I appreciate, and she really takes the rural districts uh, to heart. What was your impression?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I, liked, uh, I liked that she understood that cookie cutters are best left in the kitchen. And a lot of the rules and regulations that uh bureaucrats put in are very way too cookie cutter. I loved your question of her well, what happens are we going to have on one side a skyscraper and then a and then a i think what what did you say an acre of sheep or something on the next uh, you know in the next yeah. block uh there's no transition zone there's no accommodation um, i thought uh, I thought you you nailed it on that question, and I also liked your um, explanation of that acre of land you have that you were told that you essentially, you are not allowed to do anything with it except enjoy that, you know, watching the trees grow. And I yeah. think that's a pretty good indication of uh, how bureaucrats uh, tend to not understand who they work for.
0: I it, Absolutely. Remember back in the day when you had a public employee, it was, you work for me, you know, and some of the times, I mean, it was usually said in, in good good faith and all that kind of stuff. But that concept has completely disappeared, I think. There is no concept that a public servant works for the public.
2: Yeah, it's Um, just one more of those oxymorons, you know, like jumbo shrimp and now public servant, you know, it uh, it, it really is strange. And of course, it's it's almost impossible to get rid of them, which is also frustrating.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, and you know, a good example of that is our unemployment. Uh, department fiasco um, which she got into it, it was interesting because you know senator short covered and had opinions and actions on so many of the yeah. issues that affect me personally boy i really got into it you know <laughs> um <laughs> you know she was speaking to me <laughs> but um you know i i think that you know what she was saying about the um the, the session, you know, and how it could change. I think we underplayed that a little bit, and I'd like to talk for a minute about that because she introduced two bills that I can really get behind. One of them is the um, Growth Management Act bill that we talked about at the beginning of the interview. The other one was the um, Internet connectivity for rural areas, and that's a huge problem. And let's remember that the senator, her district is north and east of Spokane. I mean, she goes all the way up to the Canadian border, and that's pretty empty territory there. Um, that's not, you know, not heavily heavily populated. So, you know, we always say that Carnation and Duval are rural, but we're not rural like rural. You know, uh, like like those folks, and they have a hard time getting good internet connections. They just can't do it. And so, although she is leery of allowing a public utility district to provide direct service. And she mentioned some of the dangers of that. Um, She also is going, wait a minute, these people need this. So let's study it. Let's look at it. Let's see what we can figure out might be the bad fallout from it and see if we can deal with it and then get these people some service. What did did you think of that?
2: Well, great. I mean, right now, especially, I mean, without Internet, you pretty much can't work. Your kids can't go to school. That's a whole other topic. you know, you're cut off from the world. It's just it, it is it is really a critical service. Just I mean, many years ago, it was critical to have electricity sent to your house, you know, you're operating on candles and, and then, you know, having having water, um, everybody operating on. I mean, those days are long behind us, but Internet is the new is it is the new equivalent of electricity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you need to be connected to the world. You can't do much of anything unless you are.
0: You know, it reminds me of remember the Western Australia. You know how remote and isolated they are, and for thirty years they've been teaching students remotely. Um, you know, in in Australia, um, but we look at it as the as if it, we just invented it. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'm sure there are other areas as well.
2: the problem, but, is, the problem is, though, they've had thirty years to get good at it. And, yes, and and funny. they, uh, you know, we we were thrust into it, so yeah. it's uh, not quite the same.
1: Well, there
0: were discussions. I mean, it has been a topic in the past of doing this kind of remote learning, but nobody embraced it and said, yeah, this is what we need to be looking into and making preparations for. And I, it was never uh, taken seriously until the pandemic hit. Yeah. Um, and there is reluctance. There there really is a lot of reluctance to do this. Um on the part of some teachers and you know on the part of most parents that i know of are not reluctant um they would like to see they don't think the quality of it is as good um, but they're not reluctant to have the remote learning Um, they, they, they're, they're okay with the remote learning, but they're ready to get back into classrooms from what I've seen. And anecdotally, I haven't seen any studies, but you know, I I take my little walks and one day on the pipeline, I was walking along and this uh, mother and another mother and uh, a school teacher, uh, from the Lake Washington school district. And all three of us were kind of chat, chit chatting as we were walking. And, um, it was really interesting. The teacher really felt, um, put upon and uh you know that that this was a huge challenge to provide remote learning and both parents are like well then let's get back in the classroom you know let's get you know, <laughs> you know they were uh really pushing for that and uh it was, it was an interesting discussion because nobody went bananas which oh, is
2: maybe those teachers need to talk to their union because there, there's well, no reason for the kids not to be back in the classroom it's not a safety issue anymore that's pretty much been you know, we've been listening for a year to everybody say follow the science follow the science well the science has been very clear young kids uh don't don't get it and if they do they get mild mild symptoms they're also not tra- you know not not transmitters of yeah and uh you know that's the science that the cdc has said that you know yeah. but the the unions kind of like the idea that their teachers can sort of work from home and get paid anyway and uh mm-hmm. you know um uh, I'm sorry. I, th- I think I think we're we're losing a generation of kids. It's not just the learning. They're 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 clearly not getting the proper level of education that they would get in the classroom. But they're losing the socialization. They're also you know at home all the time. So therefore they're snacking. So you know we're going to have an obesity issue. We're going to have a diabetes issue in the future with these kids. You know they're they're lacking social skills because they're not having a chance to interact. They were basically teaching them that their entire world is on a screen, you know, rather than you know where are the interpersonal relationships. I mean, it, it's a it's a slippery slope, and you know, is a temporary interim issue because it's an emergency. Okay, fine. You know, World War II people had to go underground, you know, in in, in bomb shelters for when for periods of time in in, uh, in England, but it was temporary, and then they came out and they rebuilt. Right. Well, yeah. I I unfortunately think we're developing such some really bad habits where it's going to be almost impossible to rebuild. I'm very concerned about it. are you talking just students or are you talking everyone? Talking everyone. I mean, think of the impact on the parents, the parents, you know, uh, not, not everybody has a white collar job where they can work from home in front of a computer screen. You know, there are people out there that actually do things like put roofing roofs on, on houses and, you know, Mm -hmm. drive, drive trucks and school buses and, and, uh, you know, fix your plumbing and do your electrical wiring and work in stores. And I mean, there's a lot of jobs that are not work from home jobs, yet those people have had to either lose their job, adapt their job, get a different job, you know, or or downsize because they have to be there to watch the kids. I mean, it's it's not just the kids. I worry about the kids. But think of what the, what we're doing to the parents of the kids. Yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just awful. And and, uh, well,
0: and uh, the thing that, you know, is uh, the problem with the kids is that, you know, I always just say yeah. your your kids, not, they're not really fully cooked until they're about 25, you know, <laughs> that's that's when well, they're that's
2: real fully right. cooked. No, that's exactly right. You know, I remember it wasn't that long ago, what, five, 10 years ago, uh, 10, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago, everybody was complaining about kids were spending way too much time and for doing video games and not enough time reading, reading books, right? Mm-hmm. And um so what are we doing now? We're teaching them to basically play video games. We're teaching them to sit in front of the computer because your whole world is in front of the computer. The exact thing that we complained about that they were doing too much of, you know, well, you're in front of the computer too much. You're doing too much video games. You're watching too much television. Remember that? You ever get uh, oh, yes. marked at? you're watching too much television? I mean, so, well, now that we're just, a, we're just uh, training a whole generation to think that the entire world exists on this stupid screen.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I have actually spoken to a student and I've said, Well, uh, you know, after this is over, wouldn't you like to travel? Wouldn't you like to see some of these things in the world? And he said, No, I've already seen him.
2: Yeah, that's right.
0: He's already seen him. He's seen a picture of them. And so he thinks he's already seen oh, yeah. them. You know, and no if, he has
2: virtual, if he has virtual reality glasses, then he's probably also experienced it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. crazy. It's just. It
0: so, and that's kind of Orwellian to me. I don't know whether. I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's it's disturbing. I work with a lot of young people, and um, you know, uh, uh, there's no doubt that there's a lot of depression among young, the young people. And I'm of a two. am of two minds on that. I mean, one of part of me goes, "Oh, for heaven's sake! If this is the worst you ever experienced in your life, this is not that bad." But when you're young and you've never had a lot of bad stuff, you know you, you don't realize that.
2: Yeah, you're putting it you're putting it on your from your perspective, not from their perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I mean, we're we're talking about you know young girls who, who get someone calls them a nasty name on on Facebook and their whole world ends. Yes. You know, I mean that's the, that's their life because they have their relevance. Their relevant world is different than your relevant world and my relevant world. In our experiences, and they haven't had the experiences yet. So, um, and that's part of the problem. They're they're not getting all those experiences. They're not they're not learning how to fail. You got to learn how to be successful. You also have to learn how to fail. Yeah. And you know, anytime they yeah. hit reset, start again. You know, or I don't know the answer. Okay, I'll just look it up on Google. I mean, that, that's that's not failing. You got to be in a classroom and you know and get a D. Yeah. And maybe study harder next time. You know, yeah. so well, the
0: trends that we've had in public education for are for a long time have been really different um, and concerning in a lot of ways. Um, but, you know, yeah, this this has brought it to a whole new level. Um, it'll be interesting to see what what shakes down because of that. Um, and I know in looking, I'm trying to follow the legislature a little Ooh. bit and what they're dealing with and what they're trying to propose. Um, budget issues. And I didn't ask uh, Senator Short about that because, you know, clearly her time was very limited. And I hope to get uh, former state treasurer Dwayne Davidson uh, for an interview in a couple weeks. And he can explain it much better than anyone. But, you know, it, it's interesting because the study, you read one article and it says, well, all of the studies and all the statistics show that even if the state doesn't raise one single dime more in taxes, even if they don't increase any taxes, they will still get, you know, like four and a half percent higher income over the next biennium than they, than they had. Um, so their income will go up. But because of spending, that, apparently that's not enough. You know, we need to cover it. And I was just reading a thing today that one of the budget proposals now is to basically just spend out the emergency fund. No. Just spend it out. And I can't help but believe that that's a really bad idea. Um, I don't know. Do you have spidey sense tingling over that one?
2: Yeah. Well, sure. They'll just figure if they need more, they'll just go ask for more, and they'll claim uh, they'll claim COVID, uh, you know, destroyed their budget, and they need they need help. They'll, they'll try and get money from the feds. Uh, they'll, they'll raise taxes. They'll do something. You know, it's a it's a bottomless pit. If you're in the, you know, if you're a politician, you. have You've pretty much been trained that you never run out of money. Mm-hmm. You know, budget is a dirty word to them. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I agree with you. And I think that, you know, um, my my issue, you might not agree with this, but we have career politicians all over the place it's common now you know i mean when they're 23 25 30 they run for water department or school board or whatever and they just keep going from there and so we have politicians like gary uh, um uh, jay Inslee. you know he's been a politician for 30 some years um and you can just go you know i'm just picking on him because i happen to remember how many years he's been in office um but
2: i don't care you can pick on him i don't mind (laughs)
0: <laughs> but i don't care how uh, what what field you are in if that is the only field you have been exposed to if that's the only area where you have seen how it works and what you can do and how it operates you don't have sight of how it works for the rest of us yeah um yeah okay maybe you worked in an assembly line once when you were in high school for a summer well, you know what, Jay. I'm looking at the clock, and I'm thinking let's take, let's pick up this uh, conversation after we take a break because we do have to do that. And we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about what Senator Shelley Short said, and we'll talk a little bit more, more about uh, our our wonderful, gifted opinions about politics and politicians. Join us. We'll be right back on Valley Talk on Valley 104.9 FM.
2: You're listening to Valley 104.9, your station for Valley Talk and information. Join
1: us for Northwest Phenomenon Sunday nights at 7 p.m. right here on Valley 104.9 as we cover topics from paranormal activity, conspiracy theories, and more. If you have a story you would like to share, email me, mario at northwestphenomenon.com. We'll see you Sunday nights at 7 p.m. right here on Valley 104.9.
2: Northwest Phenomenon. Tune in on Saturday evenings when Valley 104.9 is all
1: about the oldies. Things get going at 5.30 p.m. with forgotten hits of the 60s where host Steve Arthur spins up obscure singles and one-hit wonders. Then from 6 to 9, it's the Saturday Night Oldies Show with the Valley's own Terry Spring. Terry busts out his huge collection of 45s from the 50s, 60s, and 70s and spins them every week. It's a double dose of the oldies every Saturday starting at 5.30 p.m
2: remember to join us at 1 p.m. on sunday for animal radio animal radio is america's most listened to pet show the nearly two-hour celebration of our pets is hosted by veterinaire talent al abrams and judy francis so tune in 1 p.m. sunday animal radio
1: Immerse yourself in the worlds of community media, sound, podcasting, and audio on Radio Survivor. Airing on Wednesday nights from 6 to 7 p.m. here on Valley 104.9 FM.
0: Welcome back. You're joining us on Valley Talk. I'm Heather Stark, your host, and with me is Jay Fisk. Jay and I, as always, Jay, when you and I get together, we start bashing those politicians, don't we? Um, oh,
2: it's, a, it's one of my favorite pastimes, and they, they deserve it. I think before the break, you... <laughs> Before the break, you were talking about uh, that what we mostly have are career politicians, and I agree. And, I, and that was never the intent. It was yeah. never the intent of the, the people that founded our great country was that people would would you know be in quote service for fifty or sixty years. And that's when yeah. I mean, you look at some of our senators we've got that are they're they're in their eighties and and they started in politics in their twenties. Yeah. Well, the president is pushing 80 and he started he's
0: been in politics for 40 some years, Yeah, 50, or 50 um, years, 50 years. Yeah. And and I think I, you know, and this is not directed to the president necessarily, but I, it's just directed to any politicians who have not spent time elsewhere. I always say that when they make me the queen of the world, Jay, and I'm expecting at any moment now, Yeah, uh, when they make me the queen of the world. I'm going to require that everybody to have every three or four years, somebody blows a whistle and we all move over a job just so that everybody gets some experience doing everything so that you get a wider view. I really think I look at some of these politicians, I hear them speak and I think this is not an evil person. This is not a stupid person. This is a person who really doesn't realize that other people don't live exactly the way he does.
2: That's right. Yeah. You know, yeah, you know, I'd almost like—I mean, it'll never happen. The problem is with our with our laws; is their laws are made by the people that make the laws, and they're the ones that we're talking about. <laughs> yes, so, you know, uh, so they're never—they're never, they're never going to self-limit. But if I was king of the world, or at least you know, king for a day, since you're going to be queen for for the, of the world, I'd like to be king for a day. I would—I would say that uh, you can't be elected. To more than three consecutive terms of any public office. So, you know, if you if you do two years as a congressman, you get reelected. That's 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 a second one. And then you want to run for senator. That's fine. You that for six years, and you're done. But every third, every, every three consecutive wins, you have to take a break of a of, of at least one cycle of whatever job you're in. If if it's senator, you got to take a six years break. If you're Congressman, you got to take a two-year break. If you're mayor, you got to take a four-year break. Uh, but just uh, there needs to be something that p- causes them to go back into the world and get regrounded into those of us that are not politicians.
0: Yeah, I like that idea. You know, I like that idea because um, really, I, and I like it for a lot of fields. And like I said, the, I mean, I think teachers are like that. And I, you know I'm a teacher, so, you know, I mean – um, I'm not picking on teachers, I'm saying my observation, and that is most of us go through school, we get used to the school schedule, we get used to the school politics, we get used to the way school runs, we graduate from 12th grade, we go to school and work there for, for four years, maybe six years, and then what do we do? We go back to school as a teacher. So we're never in uh for m- the most part i mean certainly there are exceptions but w- we we've, we've we're never outside of that education format right and so you know when i mean i had a dear friend um who oh god she was a great teacher she she handled the special needs kids and, uh, and i i, I No one has ever worked as hard as she has. I had great respect for her. But one day we were talking, it was the spring, and she goes, oh, she said, I just can't wait until spring break. You know, we need that break. And I started laughing and I said, yeah, our husbands our you know, our children, you know, they don't need that break, but we teachers, we need that break. And she started laughing and she said, you know, sometimes even I fall for it, you know, <laughs> you know, and it's true. You know, I mean, we all think that the job that we are doing is the hardest job there is. We all think that the way we have to behave in our jobs is the way everybody needs to behave in their job. And, and I think a lot of these, these, misunderstandings and a lot of the conflict is because, you know, the rules that I live under as, uh, you know, okay, right now I'm a field data collector for the the federal government, you know, for a company that's contracted by the federal government. The, in the way that I have to do my job for that job, totally different from the way it is when I'm teaching, totally different, totally different from the way it is when I'm working, you know, as a a writer, you know, uh, and, and I think that even though my experience and my education to some appears rather disjointed, I mean, my undergraduate degree is, journal, is a journalism degree, and I have two masters, one in psychology and one in public administration, and then the PhD is organizational psychology. Well, you can argue, is anybody healthy and normal if they have that level of education? <laughs> and I would say you're probably making a good point if you're arguing about that. Um, but it's not disjointed to me. Because each of those fields, each of those areas of study, and each of the jobs that I've had within those has taught me something different. Yeah. And I think people who are always a politician or always a teacher or always a hairdresser, for that matter, they don't get that variety and the exposure to other kinds of ways of doing things and other kinds of thoughts. Well,
2: so you're doing something right, because I've had a whole lot of different jobs in my life. Yeah. <laughs> I. I've had quite the variety uh, in, in, in my life. Which quick question: uh, Did you pay off your student loans?
0: Oh, aren't you cute? <laughs> <laughs> aren't you cute? Um, <laughs> you know uh, hang, in, uh, hang,
2: hang in there; it'll get covered for you shortly.
0: Oh yeah, that's what they're saying. I don't. Something tells me no. I don't think so. Well, you know, my daughter, who's still struggling to pay off a few student loans, um, she's a CPA. And um, she she said that what they're talking about now, this was Friday she and I talked, and she said that um, they're talking now at the federal level about changing the law. Right now, if you have student loans and you declare bankruptcy, those student loans are exempt from the bankruptcy. You can't get out of the student loans because of bankruptcy. And she said right now they're talking about changing it so that you can declare bankruptcy and the loans will be wiped out along, you know, with, with the bankruptcy. And I'm going, whoa, I can picture so many 20, 25-year-olds who don't see that this is going to affect them for 10 years. And even if it does, what do they care? They're not buying a house at 25. They're, you know, if they can't afford, get the loan for the house until they're 35, okay, that's fine. Well, you, know?
2: you know, I'm sorry. I just had this whole concept it irritates me. The thought that the people would even be discussing it irritates me but the the making the loans go away for, with a bankruptcy yeah, yeah student loans okay so you go to college why to get an education why so you can earn a living why so you can pay off your bills and 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 uh, and and grow in society you know so you decide not to go to college but instead you save your money and you buy a you know you buy a van and you fill it with tools and you become a handyman or you become a plumber or you you learn some other trade you know you become a building a builder and eventually become a building contractor Whatever it is you decide to do, you decide to do outside of the education system, but you still are working hard. You're still investing your money. You're still, you're, you're still putting in time. You're learning you're a learning skill. You're doing all that stuff. So when do they get their stuff paid off? When does somebody come along and say, you know what, Harry, you know, you did a good job over the last 15 years building your, your plumbing business, so we're going to pay off your, your van and, all, and your parts inventory and your tools for you? You know, that, 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 I just find it irritating and insulting to people that, uh, and I guess that's the entrepreneur in me, since I've started five companies in my life. Uh, but I just find it insulting that people that literally risk everything to start a business are being told oh, that was nice, but you know you should have gone to college. If you did, we pay it all off. I just have a lot well, of problem.
0: But, but there again, you're you're ex- that's exactly what we've been talking about because you people who have not run a business, who have not started a business. They don't have a clue nope. about what it takes to be in business. And and it, honestly, it makes me kind of angry when they, you know, I mean, even I mean, do I care if somebody who's a quadrillionaire has to pay more taxes? Not really. But it's the principle of the thing. This guy worked for his money and he's got it. Yes, he should share. But that's a moral issue. I don't think it should be a legal issue. I think that he. <laughs> He did the work, he's entitled to it. Now, if he did something illegal to do it, that's a different matter. But, you know, if you start a business, because I know, you know, and, and I've started businesses, I mean, you're not talking a 40-hour work week. You're lucky if it's an 80-hour work week or a 96-hour work week. I mean, you're pouring everything into sleep, it. You're bringing sleep is optional,
2: and vacations are are a dream. I, You know, oh, I, 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 now, I'm not joking. And you know what business I'm in, and I, you probably don't know a couple of the others that, I, that I've started over the years, but I... I literally bought a plane ticket this last week to go to Arizona to play golf for one week. And I got looking at my calendar, I'm going to go the first week of April. And I realized that this is the first time I've taken a week off purely vacation that was not tied in with some business event in over 20 years. Yeah, I'm not joking. Every time yeah. I've a gone minute. away for three, four days at a time, maybe up to, you know, six, seven days, it was always tied in with some dinner some business enterprise. I was there because I was doing an auction. I was there because there was some convention going on. There was something going on. And I extended I went a couple days early, stayed a couple days late. But the last time I took a pure vacation just for a vacation was 20 years ago. That's Mm -hmm. what happens when you're an entrepreneur. Yep. And and you and that's okay. I'm not complaining. Believe me I like being independent. I like having my own business. But Mm -hmm. I find it highly insulting that the government would want to use part part of my tax money to pay off someone's loan, you know, because they decide to go to college and and uh, and and study something that was supposed to be so they could earn a living.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, if they chose wisely, they they are earning a living. If they chose mm-hmm. poorly, well, so what? You still have a, you just have to pay for the loan. Mm-hmm. You know.
0: Well, and there's two schools of thought. I mean, one is like me. I want the education because my parents were eighth grade dropouts and I, you know, I knew that if I I wanted something different from that. And so I've always, you know, spent I've always prioritized getting an education. It's important to me from that standpoint. Have I reaped wealth because of that education? No, I have not. Um, But I know people who choose fields. That's not where their first calling is, but they choose it because their first calling is not going to give them an income that is workable for them and that they desire. So there's two ways of doing it. And, you know, I, I would argue that, you know, one way isn't any better than the other. But the point is, is that if you do go on, it's your choice to go on. How, how, about,
2: th- how about this as a solution? Here's a compromise. You can have your loan uh, paid off if, number one, you took it out more than 10 years ago. And number two, if you have not, if your cumulative income since that time has not has not been more than double what you paid for the for the loan. Oh, that would be good. If you if you've earned twice what you, what your loan was, and it was more than ten years and, and over it, a
0: ten year period, or what?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, ba- basically, you, you, number one, you, no no one that's got a loan a student loan in the last ten years get it get, gets wiped out. That's that's uh, it's got to be over ten years old and only up to the amount uh, only only up to two times that you've earned. Mm-hmm. That, uh, I could live with that. So that would help me. If you paid fifty thousand dollars for for your education, mm-hmm. uh, then and then you had to have cumulatively earned one hundred thousand dollars in the last ten years to get any to get any of it forgiven, just like yeah. you're doing with the with the, um, you know, with, with the COVID relief. Their their maximum your maximum earning you know is seventy five thousand dollars, right? They're basically saying, well, if you've earned more than seventy five thousand dollars, you shouldn't be entitled to relief because after all, you're earning you're earning enough money to not need the relief, right? So yeah, shouldn't the right. same standard apply to people that are having their student loans paid off? Shouldn't you have to be in a position where you've not earned money from the degree to have it paid yeah, off? But-
0: that's the way we do things, Jay. I mean, your, your way sounds logical, but we don't do that. I mean, a umpte- hundred years ago, I was on the King County Animal Control Board, Citizens Advisory Board, because I was raising – I was a farmer. I was raising sheep and llamas and ducks and geese and chickens and all that kind of stuff. And so I was on this advisory committee. And they one of the things that they proposed to this committee was, well, we should uh, give senior citizens free pet licenses because they need their pets they you know we have value in our pets and uh, a lot of senior citizens can't afford those license fees so we should just give them uh, uh, free uh, pet licenses and i went well that's great but a lot of senior citizens i know earn a lot more money than i do could we make it dependent on whether they need to have help paying those fees no
2: and also and also, and also how big the dog is and how much does the dog eat Okay, now you're talking it. about my
0: do- now you're getting now you're now you're insulting me personally, Jay. <laughs> Just because you know I have a 130-pound dog, okay?
2: <laughs> well, if you could afford to feed a 130-pound dog, you ought to be able to afford your own license.
0: <laughs> well, exactly. Exactly. But uh, but the point that I'm making is is that you know, we want to do good. We want to do what feels good, you know, helping poor senior citizens keep their pets. That feels good. But that's where our thinking ends. We don't go, wait a minute, just because you're a senior citizen doesn't mean you're poor. Why not just give the free stuff to the poor senior citizens? And no, no, (laughs) it has to be all senior citizens. And I just, I don't get that. I, I, you know, and and I see that in in so many things. It's like, shouldn't it be needs-based instead of, um, you know, just sweeping people into groups and saying, we'll give it all to them, you know?
2: Of course it should be needs-based. But those decisions are, are are rarely done on needs needs base or based on votes based.
0: Yeah. Well, we've gotten we've we've really strayed from what the senator was saying, and um, I need to check the time here, Jay. I think we're going to have to take another real quick break, and then we'll come back and wrap this up. Okay.
2: Sure. Why Stay- not? Now that you've gotten a okay. little wild up, make me wake through a through a, a break.
0: And remember, folks, that's J.Fisk <laughs> <dot> at,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, at valley1049.org.
0: Yeah, valley1049. It's <laughs> just AY.
2: It's just J A Y at valley 1049
0: Okay. And you're listening to Valley Talk right here on Valley 104.9 FM.
2: You're listening to Valley 104.9 FM, your Valley community radio station. remember to join us at 1 p.m. on Sunday for Animal Radio. Animal Radio is America's most listened to pet show. The nearly two-hour celebration of our pets is hosted by veterinaire talent Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. So tune in 1 p.m. Sunday, Animal Radio. Hi everybody, this is Jay Fisk, host of Keeping Track of Giving Back in the Valley. We're the show that's on every week and we talk about nonprofits that help all of us who live, work, and play here in the fabulous Snoqualmie Valley. You can catch us at 5.30 p.m. on Sunday and then we do an encore presentation on Monday at 6.30 p.m. That's 5.30 Sunday evening and 6.30 on Monday for Keeping Track of Giving Back in the Valley right here on Valley 104.9 FM. Hi, I'm Melinda
1: Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian, investigative nutritionist, and host of Food Sleuth Radio, the show that helps us think beyond our plates, connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. If you care about the food you eat, then join me on Sundays at 3 p.m. on Valley 104.9 FM for Food Sleuth Radio.
3: Please join Interim City Manager Bob Jean and me, Mayor Kimlis for Carnation Currents. Sundays at five PM, Thursdays five thirty PM and Fridays six PM on Valley Radio one oh four point nine FM for the latest updates of Carnation.
0: Welcome back to Valley Talk. Jay Fisk has been my guest, and uh, he helped me talk about and sort out some of the comments and the conversation I had with Senator Shelley Short from uh, eastern Washington in the rural areas, northeastern Washington, and we kind of went all over the board from there, didn't we, Jay?
2: Oh, that's what we normally do.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, No boundaries for us. And uh, we have discussed uh, a lot of things from education to a couple of bills that are before Congress. I want to just real quick before we wrap it up, I want to mention these these uh, Senate bills, SB uh, 5275 and SB 5357. Five three eight three. Those Senate bills, you can look up online. Those are the ones that the Senator Short is uh, sponsoring. And so we can keep track of how those are going, doing in this session. And one is having to do with the Growth Management Act, and the other one is having to do with public utility districts helping to provide internet service for rural areas. Well, Jay, we did it again. We talked politics, we offended all sorts of people, and we had fun doing it.
2: It's always a pleasure to offend people with you. <laughs>
0: Wait a Are they gonna put that on my tombstone? I don't know.
2: <laughs> well, it's a Thanks pleasure. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for the invite. Yeah.
0: Well, I'll tell you what I enjoy about our conversations is that we go all over the board. Um I think the first time you and I did this, I made an outline that was useless. Um and
2: <laughs> I think I was doodling also. Yeah,
0: (laughs) but what's fun is that we do cover a lot of territory and uh go all over the place and uh that's kind of what it's all about so i appreciate your helping me here jay and i appreciate you out there for listening to valley 104.9 fm join us again tuesday evening and sunday for valley talk see you next week
1: following newscast does not prescribe any medical advice, directly or indirectly,
0: as a form of treatment for any medical problems without the advice of a physician or medical doctor.
3: Welcome to That's Edible. I'm Daisy Oz. In this show, I'll be presenting the stress-relieving oil of juniper berry. A juniper berry is the female seed cone of Juniperus communis, a coniferous evergreen tree that can grow over 30 feet high and is found in North America, Europe, and Southwest Asia. Juniper berries have been used to flavor alcoholic beverages since medieval times. Actually, the name juniper comes from Genever, the French word for gin, and is its fundamental flavor. Let's take a closer look at this little mysterious berry. The branches, berries, and leaves of juniper have been used since ancient times for medicinal and spiritual purposes, dating back to 1500 BC in Egypt. I'm focusing on juniper berries oil because this is where its medicine is becoming famous. To clarify, juniper essential oil is steam distilled from the needles, wood, and berries. However, juniper berry oil, which is extracted solely from the berries, is superior in quality. To begin with, the fresh, woody aroma of juniper berry oil is renowned for relieving stress, mental fatigue, and anxiety because it's valued as an anti-rheumatic, astringent, and antiseptic. You can use juniper berry oil topically to help relieve a wide range of skin and hair problems such as eczema, acne, psoriasis, hair loss, and dandruff. It also helps with fluid retention and can prevent cellulite formation. This coniferous oil is an amazing antiseptic that protects wounds from infection, even tetanus. Terpineol, terpenine, and pinene are juniper's main agents that inhibit such infections. And this piney oil contains constituents that flush out free radicals that cause disease. Juniper berry oil helps with blood circulation, which is essential in removing toxins like uric acid from the body and help control ailments like gout and arthritis. In fact, this little berry is quite famous now for treating those conditions. To de-stress with juniper berry oil, try a vaporizer to diffuse the oil for nervous tension. Add to bath water, lotions, or massage oil for skin conditions and overall pain relief. What a cleansing medicine from nature's backyard, the juniper berry. And yes, that's edible. My source came from Mercola.com. I'm Daisy Oz. Thanks for listening. Be brave and add some edible plant medicine to your diet for healthier living. Check out my archive shows and more at daisyoz.com. That's edibles produced at Daisy Oz Productions in Chihuila, Washington. My theme music was provided by Scott Holmes.